this meeting of the Podcasting Geek Society is... What do they say on the show again? Hey guys, welcome back to Capacity to Geek. I'm Alex, and I'm joined as always with Bobby and Walter. Hey guys. Hey guys. So I don't tell you to say something, you guys just won't say something? Something? <laughs> so, how are we doing this week, boys? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Walter, how are you feeling after your devastating defeat last week? Oh, um, he, he called it a tie. Yeah, but mine ran longer. That, that doesn't mean anymore. So, I thought we'd do something a little fun because it's Halloween. Well, actually, this episode will release on the 29th, but it's Halloween. You guys excited for Halloween, boys? Always. It's always interesting to see all the people, given that we work in retail, everyone after their parties or before their parties or during their parties comes in in full costume to get more supplies for the party. I mean, one time I had a guy dressed all on as a Boy Scout run to the liquor aisle <laughs> but right before the clock reset to... Like 1 a.m. Or, you know, however time change works. Recently, to live on the East Coast. You don't have to worry about that. As long as you're in Indiana. As long as you're in Indiana. Indiana's still central, isn't it? Uh, East Coast. Half and half. Half and half. If you're where Notre Dame is, I only know this because I've either worked with people or, like, you know, uh, had classes with people who went to Notre Dame. If you're in that area... Guess what? You're in Eastern, but Notre Dame doesn't actually, like, the campus itself, they don't deal with the time change thing. They what? They don't have daylight savings time. Okay, boys, so that was about a minute on time zones. <laughs> so, there goes the podcast. But, uh, for our time zones episode. <laughs> you're off the show, Walter. Okay. Anyway... So, Halloween, you know, it's one of my favorite holidays. Uh, I still dress up. I got a pretty nice Elton John costume I've been parading around. I might post some pictures on the show page, or I might have done it already because we recorded this five weeks in advance. So, I thought we'd do things a little different on the show this week, guys. Uh, So, what we're going to do is, I thought we could talk about scary stories. More specifically, creepypastas. But also, even more specifically, scary stories that tell in the dark but not the movie. So I'll be honest with you guys. I really haven't read a lot of entries in this book. I've just heard that it's a very, it's a very scary book, but it's also aimed at kids. Uh, do you guys have any history with this book at all? No, very little. Ooh, so this is, this is something new for the three of us, huh? Oh yeah. Well, I mentioned, so if you're not familiar with the term creepypastas, they are internet stories made by everyday people. And they can get quite scary at times. There are there are some that I really admire. Jeff the Killer, uh, Smile.jpg. Uh, are you guys familiar with the concept of creepypastas, boys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, one of my favorites is uh, Ben Drowned. Ben Drowned. Ben Drowned. Nice, nice. Of course, like anything uh, deals with like Pokemon and Lavender Town... Oh, yes, Lavender Town. You know, um, I kind of really like the Lost episodes, too. I mean, obviously they're not real, but they're... Um, actually, while we're on the topic of Lost episodes, uh, there's an episode of SpongeBob recently where they travel to different multiverses through doorways, and there's one doorway that they hold up, and it's just Squidward's room for a second, but then on the screen flashes a 
picture of Squidward with hyper-realistic eyes. So Squidward suicide exists in the SpongeBob multiverse, I suppose. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen the people that have animated that out and that have told that story, and it's so creepy, especially... Like, when they actually animate it out, they use all that just horrifying imagery. Oh, jeez, yeah, no. Something I worked on when I was younger was called the Pasta Files, which would be kind of like a Twilight Zone-esque um, X-Files kind of CSI look in a world filled with creepy pastas, which eventually did get that treatment. If you guys have ever seen the sci-fi show Channel Zero? I right. Have not seen that. I believe I know what the first season they tackle Candle Cove, but uh, if you guys know Candle Cove, pretty famous creepy pasta there. Have you not? You're gonna hear Candle Cove tonight because I'm doing Candle Cove. Sweet. Okay, so Candle Cove, which is a story that I'm gonna cover tonight, is kind of adapted into this show, Channel Zero, and it's pretty phenomenal in its first season. I kind of fell off after a couple episodes. But I really liked what they did with that. And yeah, I never really ended up doing pasta files, but maybe one day I'll jump back into it. So how this is going to work, we're each going to pick a creepypasta. We're each going to pick a scary story to tell in the dark, and we're going to tell them all. Uh, if we feel like it, we might do some additional ones, just some additional short paragraph uh, internet horror stories. Bobby, why don't you begin with your choice? It's called Cold by... I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. 41488P. Okay. So here's the cold. Before we start all the spooky fun, I just wanted to give you guys a quick content warning. There is going to be a lot of disturbing imagery and themes discussed tonight. We're also going to be going uncensored, so boys, if you don't mind, fuck. 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 All right, there we are. And also, if you or anybody you know about has the intention or the yearning to hurt yourself or others, please reach out and speak to anybody you care about, to your loved ones, to your friends, what have you. You're not alone. We all love you. We especially love our listeners out in podcast land. And uh, boys, you ready to get spooky? Oh, yeah. Let's begin. It begins with a cold. It starts off mildly. Your nose starts running. It gets harder and harder to pronounce words. You take days off due to a fever, congestion in the head. Finally, you start going to work again, sure that the cold is making its way from your body. But it begins with a cold. It isn't apparent at first. You think it's because of the cold that, when all is silent, you hear random words being whispered right behind. No, in front. No, no, in your ear. Dinner. Mom. Sonny. Dad. Car. But it begins with a cold. You start going more and more to the doctors. You notice more people than usual and that they all cringe in pain as one more person walks in, all with runny noses, swollen heads, baggy eyes, open, slime mouths. You go in. The doctor says the same thing every time. Take this medicine. Twice daily. Keep away from the chil- from children. Rest well. Rest well. Rest well. But it starts from cold. Because it's too late once the cold sets in, the voices in your head get louder and louder. The boss doesn't notice that you're gone because he's been sent to the asylum for unknown reasons, sniffling about thoughts and how it's the end of the world. The Chinese vendor across the street doesn't notice you're in all the time because he's also upstairs in his cramped apartment, wasting what's the last day of his life watching crappy MTV shows because that's the only channel his antenna receives due to a thunderstorm 37 years ago. He's been here that long. 
But more importantly, you don't notice that you're gone from work. You drive in every day, but it seems like you've been for days when the when you drive in. The calendars are there to prove it. Your boss got them from a failed business venture he tried when he was fresh out of college. It was called 365 Days a Year, and it was 365 post-it notes with inspirational messages on them. You wondered how he even got the idea. He just tries to forget and move on. The bottle with the pills say, rest well. You rest well. You rest too well. Because the next time you wake up, you notice that your Zimbabwean plumber is gone, but you haven't called him in since last February 20th because your roof had leaked 27.6 milliliters of a mixed solution of mercury and water, which was kind of dumb because mercury kills you. That's what David Kelling, Mr. Kelling, told you in seventh grade. You hear the voices more. The Spanish pizza delivery guy next door watches his music videos. You can hear them clearer. You understand Spanish. Rest well, rest well, rest well, rest well. It begins with a cold. There's not a day in his life that he doesn't regret divorcing his wife. The voices are clear now. Lisa, Lisa, don't leave me. All hail Mao Zedong. 365 sounds like a great idea for a business venture, Carl. Don't you think? Don't you think it's a great idea? We're going to be millionaires. Now the voices are clear. They happen. They come more frequently. You can't stop. It, it's like the Hoover Dam broke open and it's Gorbachev all over again telling himself to tear down this wall. Tear down this wall. Rest well. Now you sit on your Ikea sofa going through each step over and over again while people outside honk their Ford 2013 model horns over and over again, trying to get their voices out of their head because they want that raise. You don't know what's happening, but by the next week the voices are almost constant. You go to the clinic, writhing in pain as you pass by an LGBT rights parade. Voices of various people banging, your, banging in your head. But it's not the same voice as the, the radio that Dan Gerald hosts on 67.1 FM every Saturday morning. You don't know what's happening, but the math equations that have always bothered you are ringing in your head. Now a dog comes up to you and it speaks to you in English. That hot dog vendor hates you for that beeping the driver of the car in front of you is a female. Her name is Sarah Smithson. She is scared because everyone around her is honking their horns. But somehow you make it to the clinic. Somehow you think all of these voices, all of this truth is rushing through your head because of that cold a week ago. But that thought is replaced by the ones that tell you that there's a worm on Mars fucking another one and they can't enjoy it because they're worms. And the ones that tell you that missing guy that Haley Baker anchor told you about 21 days ago is drifting down on a river and it's night. His pulse is zero and his body temp is about 30 below zero Celsius. Too many thoughts. Another guy with a runny nose stumbles into the clinic while the cheap Cambodian chime rings for the 4,701st time. The clinic should celebrate 4,701st chime. The door closes. His name is Jack Haggerty. He has had this cold for exactly 432,010,891 seconds. 432,010,892 seconds. In another reality, you are eating a hot dog whilst accessing the vast memories of the hot dog guy. In another, you are already dead. In yet another, you go to work like normal. Finally, there's one reality where the guy just experienced his 432,010,893.3 second of his cold. The door opens. The doctor walks in. You are next. Your head yells out in pain as a dozen more thoughts enter your head. Rest well. Lie down. Rest well. It begins with a cold. You don't even feel it when the door closes in your brain, having just held the entirety of five human minds for one week, and then holding 105 minds of the homosexual protesters, to holding 36 patients' minds of the clinic, to holding just one mind of the doctor, 
lapses onto itself. Its neurons and microscopic axons haven't given up the sheer stress of doing a job that it just got used to. You don't feel it when your skull hits the table and your cranium, softened by a month of brain inflammation, cracks open. You don't feel it when your skin, having its nerves and skin cells stretched by the almost non-stop flow of blood for 31 days of January, explodes. You don't feel it when the police come and poke at the mass of red that was once your brain, doctor having pissed himself at the sight of one of his patients just having his head blown up. But this is just the start. Your consciousness is awake. You don't feel it. You know all of that. You don't know that the final thought passing through your head before you died was the doctor's name. You don't know that you're going to know everything, every little detail, and you can't tell it to anyone, not in any dimension. Not in the past, the future, the present, and everything in between. Rest well. Rest well. Just know that it starts with a cold. All right, that was pretty cool. Arms fucking and everything. Okay, Walter, give it a go. The Russian Sleep Experiment by an Anonymous Author Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they only had microphones and a five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding, running water, and a toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering into the microphones and one-way mirrored portals. Oddly, they all seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber repeatedly, yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the, the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were still working. Since they had thought it impossible, no sound could be coming from with a room with five people inside. 
the oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives. They were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones, step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn you one of your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice. Respond. We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military force funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices begging, as if pleading for the life of a loved one to turn the gas back up. The chamber was open and the soldiers were sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in alive. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had huge portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on the fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the ribcage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh. They had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives. If you count the ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine 
derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of, of one doctor. When the heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had, they had given him to prepare for the surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints, and when anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under, he managed to tear most of most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding the wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that, was, that died on the operating table, it was found that the blood had tripled the normal levels of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had nine broken bones, and his struggle not to be subdued. Most of them were from the force of his own muscles that had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to surgery. He only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head... Yes, when someone suggested reluctantly they tried the surgery without the anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should not be medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended... The subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message down. It was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. Although they had been injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation, the surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having <clears throat> failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. 
The commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for the long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow, blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for the EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves. In surprise, they were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering from brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brain wave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep and flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as the one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed as the remaining members of the medical and research team filled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you. He screamed at the man, strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked, We are you. We are the madness that works within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go into the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject so weakly choked out. So nearly free. And Happy Halloween, guys! God, I forgot how violent that one was. Wow. I had never read that one. Fuck. That one's good, though. That is really good. All right. So long, I can keep myself from not, like, clearing my throat. Right. What did you think of that, Bobby? Did I mention it was long? <laughs> it was pretty long. Okay, other than that, what did you think of it? It was uh, definitely creepy. It was definitely pasta. Alright, boys, I'm going to do my creepy pasta. This one's called Nightmares. It's a really short three-minute read, and I kind of really like this one because it really gets into your head. And I performed it once for... A public speaking class where we had the do different short stories 
Uh, shout out to CLC professor Joel Shamara, my old professor at CLC who taught the course, who is also a beat poet in Chicago. If you're in the Chicago area, you should look up Joel Shamara. All right. So without further ado, boys, nightmares. I used to think nightmares were fun, so I asked for more. They were the only source of excitement in my endless spread of a life. I never used to get nightmares, and for that, I should have been grateful. I wasn't. I wished for more. I craved the adrenaline and the pounding of my heart as my eyes flew open. They say be careful what you wish for. They are not lying. The nightmares started to come quicker and much more often. It was small things at first. The things anybody would have. Being chased by wild dogs, being abandoned, or running naked into a school. I tired of them quickly. I had no reason to keep myself awake after them. Soon, they began to become more intense. My brain began playing with me. I'd be held down by my throat, unable to breathe, unable to scream, my chest, my chest heaving but no air entering my lungs. I'd be torn at, my skin coming away like butter. I'd be tied down as those I trusted sliced into me. I began the dream of hell. Then I'd wake, my eyes not quite focusing on anything in my small box room. The purples of my cushions would merge with the cream of my wall, and the giant teddy bear that sat on the corner would blur. But I could breathe. There was no pressure on my throat. I would take in deep lungfuls of air, as if I hadn't breathed for hours. I scratched at my skin to check if it was still there, and it was. I would check my clock, and it would always be the same time. Five minutes past three in the morning became my waking hour. My eyes would try and slide open, but I couldn't let that happen. Instead, I'd pull myself to the bathroom down the carpeted area and splash icy water on my face until I was in no danger of sleeping. The sleep deprivation, I concluded, would be better than facing the horrors of the night. I'd go into school like a zombie. Nobody seemed to notice that anything was different. I began to become paranoid. As people walked past me, the memories would come rushing back. She was just the one who made the first incision two nights ago. He was the one who had his hand over my neck last week. And they were the ones who retrieved the knives in the depths of hell. I pushed everyone away and feared that they would build hell on earth. So I sat alone, excluding myself from the drone of conversation and the inconvenience of life. My nightmares would plague me. Creative writing assignments in English were easy. Just pick a night, and there was a horror story right there. Talks of battles and history shocked others, but barely even struck me as odd. The drawings I did in art made everyone feel nauseous, but seemed quite normal to me. Lessons on hell and RE would strike the fear into my very soul. Of all the things I needed, more imagery of Hades was not one of them. Those lessons began to creep into my dreams, too. A human being can go 14 days without sleep before they die. The record for days without sleep is 11 days, a record which is held by a university student in America. My record is 5 days. I started hallucinating so horrifically on day 5, I couldn't take it anymore. The whispers began first, those voices assuring me I was crazy, I was worthless, and doomed to be ended by my own mind. 
Next, it was the high-pitched squealing. It sounded like nails running down a chalkboard or a knife scraping against a plate. Only twice as high and five times as loud. Then, inanimate objects began to turn to me. The spots of brightness emitting from the plants and pictures blinded me. I knew that they were merely... I knew it was in my head. But can a schizophrenic stop having hallucinations? Neither can someone suffering from extreme sleep deprivation. I decided to suck it up and face the monsters every night. I've been sleeping well. When I say well, I mean I've been getting six hours of sleep a night. That's why I know I'm not hallucinating when I see the dark figures in my bedroom at night. When I hear the creaking of my door open, I know it's real. When the piercing screams of the tortured souls invade my eardrums, it's actually happening. When I hear the hiss threats that they're coming for me, sadly, I know they're real too. They say be careful what you wish for. I wished for hell. I got it. It's five minutes past three in the morning. I can hear them. So what did you guys think? That was really good. If I hadn't taken my bathroom break, I'd probably be shitting myself right now. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we keep this train rolling for our next story? All right, guys. Uh, how's about we go to some scary stories? Are we talking? Shut up. Hold on. This is an uncensored episode. Walter, shut the fuck up. Hey, Walter, what story are you telling us? I'm telling a classic, The Babysitter. All right. Let's get at her. It was 9 o'clock in the evening. Everybody was sitting on the couch in front of the TV. There were Richard, Brian, Jenny, and Doreen, the babysitter. The telephone. Maybe it's your mother, said Doreen. She picked up the phone. Before she could say a word, a man laughed hysterically and then hung up. Who was it? asked Richard. Some nut, said Doreen. What did I miss? At thirty, at 9.30, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. It was the man who had called before. I'll be there soon, he said, and he laughed and hung up. Who was it? The children asked. Some crazy person, she said. About 10 o'clock, the phone rang again. Jenny got to it first. Hello, she said. It was the same man. One more hour, he said, and he laughed and hung up. He said one more hour. What did he mean? asked Jenny. Don't worry, said Doreen. It's somebody fooling around. I'm scared, said Jenny. About 10.30, the telephone rang once more. When Doreen picked it up, the man said, Pretty soon now, and he laughed. Why are you doing this? Doreen screamed. And he hung up. Was it that guy again? asked Brian. Yes, said Doreen. I'm going to call the operator and complain. The operator told her to call back if it happened again. And she would try and trace the call. At 11 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. Very soon now, the man said. And he laughed and hung up. Doreen called the operator almost at once. She called back. That person is calling from the telephone upstairs, she said. You'd better leave. I'll get the police. Just then, a door upstairs opened. A man they had never seen before 
started down the stairs towards them. As they ran from the house, he was smiling in a very strange way. A few minutes later, the police found him there and arrested him. End. Wow. That was pretty pretty cool, huh? Can operators pick up precise locations like that? I want to say no, unless they're like a 911 operator. Right? Maybe it was that way, like, back in the day. Maybe. I have no idea. That's what I was thinking. That's, I think that's the originator of that. Right. Or, uh, you guys ever hear that angel statue story? No. Oh, okay. A very short summary. Uh, girl is babysitting. The parents call, ask how it's going. Uh, she just put the kid to bed and she asked if they could, uh, she asked if she could watch television in the parents' room. They said it was fine. They also, she also asked if she could put a blanket or something over the angel statue they have in their room outside the window. The parents say to get out of the house and the kid and the babysitter end up dead. Oh. So that's the angel statue. It's just very that babysitter alone home invasion story you know oh yeah yeah all right uh bobby you want to take the next one sure all right all right bobby take it from the top this is the thing ted martin and sam miller were good friends they spent a lot of time together on this particular night they were sitting on a fence near the post office talking about one thing and another there's a field of turnips across the road suddenly they saw something crawl out of the field and stand up it looked like a man, but in the dark it was hard to tell for sure. Then it was gone. But soon it appeared again. It walked halfway across the road, then it turned around and went back to the field. Then it came out a third time and started toward them. By now, Ted and Sam were scared, and they started running. But when they finally stopped, they decided they... were being foolish. They weren't sure what had, just, what had scared them, so they decided to go back and get a better look. Pretty soon they saw it where it was coming to meet them. It was wearing black pants, a white shirt, and black suspenders. Sam said, I'm going to try to touch it. Then we'll know if it's real. He walked up to it and peered into its face. It had bright, penetrating eyes sunk deep into its head. It looked like a skeleton. Ted took one look and screamed, and again, and he cut. And again, he and Sam ran. But this time, the skeleton followed them. When they got to Ted's house, they stood in the doorway and watched it. It stayed out of the road for a while, then it disappeared. A year later, Ted got sick and died. Toward the end, Sam sat up with him every night. The night Ted died, Sam said he looked just like the skeleton. The end. Man, that definitely was not clobbering time. You know, I just like a good story where, oh, hey, I see something that looks weird. I'm going to touch it. Oh, God, yeah. That's how Walter came into this world, so. Oof. <laughs> All right, let's rock and roll to the next story. My scary story is called The Walk. My uncle was walking down a lonely dirt road one day. He came upon a man who was walking down that road. The man looked at my uncle, and my uncle looked at the man. The man was scared of my uncle, and my uncle was scared of that man. But they kept on walking. It began to get dark. 
The man looked at my uncle, and my uncle looked at the man. The man was very scared of my uncle, and my uncle was very scared of that man. But they kept on walking, and they came to a big woods. It was getting darker, and the man looked at my uncle, and my uncle looked at the man. The man was really scared of my uncle, and my uncle was really scared of the man. But they kept on walking, and deep down into the woods they went. It was getting darker, and the man looked at my uncle, and my uncle looked at the man. The man was terrible scared of my uncle, and my uncle was terrible scared of- ah! So, what did we all think of that? I wasn't expecting you to scream at the top of your lungs. Yeah, well, the the book said that you're supposed to scream at that part. So, it is scary stories to tell in the dark, so you gotta get somebody scared at least. So, I was originally gonna do Candle Cove for my creepypasta, but then I realized that Candle Cove is kind of written like a chat room. So, I think maybe the three of us should read it together as the finale. I like it. I like it too. All right. So for your entertainment folks out there in podcast world, here's Candle Cove. Sky Shell 033. Subject, Candle Cove, local kid show. Does anyone remember this kid show? It was called Candle Cove, and I must have been six or seven. I never found reference to it anywhere, so I think it was on a local station around 1971 or 1972. I lived in Ironton at the time. I don't remember which station, but I do remember it was on a weird, at a weird time, like 4 p.m. Mike Painter 65, subject reply. It seems very familiar to me. I grew up outside of Ashland, and I was 9 in 72. Kendall Cove, was it about pirates? I remember a pirate marionette at the mouth of a cave talking to a little girl. Special 033, subject reply. Yes, okay, I'm not crazy. I remember Pirate Percy. I was always kind of scared of him. He looked like he was built from parts of other dolls, very low budget. His head was on was an old porcelain baby doll. Looked like an antique that didn't belong on the body. I don't remember what station this was. I don't think it was WTSF, though. Jaren, 2005. Subject reply. Sorry to resurrect this old thread, but I know exactly what show you mean, Sky Shale. I think Candle Cove ran for only a couple months in 71, not 72. I was 12 and I watched it a few times with my brother. It was channel 58, whatever station that was. My mom would let me switch to it after the news. Let me see what I remember. It took place in Candle Cove, and it was about a little girl who imagined herself to be friends with pirates. The pirate ship was called The Laughing Stock, and Pirate Percy wasn't a very good pirate because he got scared too easily. And there was Calope music constantly playing. Don't remember the girl's name, Janice or Jade or something. I think it was Janice. Station L033, subject reply. Thank you, Jaron. Memories flooded back when you mentioned the laughingstock on Channel 58. I remember the bow of the ship was a wooden smiling face with the lower, with the lower jaws submerged. It looked like it was swallowing the sea and it had the awful Ed Wynn voice and laugh. I especially remember how jarring it was when they switched from the wooden plastic model to the foam puppet version of Ed the Talk. Mike Painter 65, subject reply. 
Haha, I remember now too. Do you remember this part, Sky Shale? You have to go inside. Sky Shale is 033. Uh, Mike, I got a, ch a chill reading that. Yes, I remember. That's what the ship always told Percy when there was a spooky place he had to go in, like a cave or a dark room where the treasure was. And the camera would push in on Laughing Sock's face with each pause. You have to go inside! With his two eyes askew and that flopping foam jaw and the fishing line that opened and closed in it. It just looked so cheap and awful. You guys remember the villain? He had a face that was just the handlebar mustache above really tall, narrow teeth. Kevin Hart, subject reply. I honestly, honestly thought that villain was Pirate Percy. I was about five when this show was on. Nightmare Fuel. Jaren, 2005. Subject reply. That wasn't the villain. The puppet with the mustache. That was the villain's sidekick. Horace Horrible. He had a monocle, too. But it was on top of the mustache. I used to think that meant he only had one eye. But yeah, the villain was an, another marionette. The skin taker. I can't believe they let us watch back then. Kevin Hart. Subject reply. Jesus H. Christ, the skin taker. What kind of kid show were we watching? I seriously could not look at the screen when the skin taker showed up. He just descended out of nowhere on his strings, just a dirty skeleton wearing that brown top hat and cape, and his glass eyes that were too big for his skull. Christ almighty. Skull show 033, subject reply. Wasn't his top hat and cloak all sewn up crazy, uh, crazily? Was that supposed to be children's skin? Mike Painter, 65. Yeah, I think so. Remember his mouth didn't open and close. His jaws just slid back and forth. I remember the little girl says, Why does your mouth move like that? And the skin taker didn't look at the girl, but at the camera, and said, To grind your skin. Special 033, subject reply. I'm so relieved that other people remember this terrible show. I used to have this awful memory, a bad dream when I had where the opening jingle ended. The show faded in from black and all the characters were there, but the camera was just cutting to each of their faces, and they were just screaming, and the puppets and marionettes were flailing spastically, and all just screaming, screaming. The girl was just moaning and crying like she had been through hours of this. I woke up many times from that nightmare. I used to wet the bed when I had it. Kevin Hart, subject reply. I don't think that was a dream. I remember that. I remember that was an episode. Sky Shells, 033, subject reply. No, 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 not possible. There was no plot or anything. I mean, literally just standing in place, crying and screaming for the whole show. Kevin Hart, subject reply. Maybe I'm manufacturing the memory because you said that, but I swear to God, I remember seeing what you described. They just screamed. Jaren, 2005, subject reply. Oh, God. Yes, the little girl, Janice. I remember seeing her shake, the skin taker screaming through his gnashing teeth, his jaw careening so wildly I thought it would come off its wire hinges. I turned it off, and that was the last time I watched. I ran to tell my brother, and we didn't have the courage to turn it back on. Mike Painter, 65. Subject reply. I visited my mother today at the nursing home. I asked her about 
when I was little in the early 70s, when I was eight or nine, and if she remembered a kid's show, Candle Cove. She said she was surprised I could remember that, and I asked why. And she said, because I used to think you were so strange when you said you were going to watch Candle Cove now, Mom. And then you would tune onto the TV to static and just watch dead air for 30 minutes. You had a big imagination with your little pirate show. That's the end. Fucking wow. <laughs> what do you guys think? After reading through it, I've seen that one before. Ah. So, uh, yeah, I think they vaguely adapted for Channel Zero. I know that the skin taker is uh, kind of just like this teeth man. I don't know. I should watch Channel Zero. At least that first season I hear is really good. But uh, I think that's our Halloween special, guys. Thank you for joining me. Uh, I did want to shout out uh, Last Podcast on the Left. It's this horror true crime podcast that... I really am into. I used to watch a lot uh, back when I was first getting into podcasts, and they would do creepy pasta episodes. Uh, I know the one that I did, Nightmares, was one of the ones that they covered in one of their earlier shows. But uh, I definitely wanted to do this as kind of a tribute to last podcast on the left, have kind of a scary storytelling episode, and uh, I just want to say we're recording this on the day that we launch. The actual show i want to thank both of you guys for sticking by this we have six episodes in the bag now and we have nowhere to go but up i want to thank all my listeners all my friends all my family you know who's believed in me and who's uh stuck around and you know i love all you guys out there in podcast land and uh here's for the future you boys want to say anything i never thought we'd get this far but here we are. It's launch day. We're on Spotify. And Anchor. You didn't you, you didn't think we'd get past five episodes? Good night, everybody. Okay, guys. So, I lied to you. For extra bits this week, I actually have one more scary story. This is probably the scariest story of them all. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. Bobby, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. So with your honey and you're making out, when the phone rings, you answer it, and the voice says, what are you doing with my daughter? You tell your girl, and she says, my dad is dead. Then who was phone? <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody.